0: Love them and leave them alone. Like that was my, that was that was my mantra. Love them and leave them alone. Like this understanding that like um, that the children come through you, that, that they're not extensions of you. If my child did something wrong, but this idea that I that if if I'm judging them, there's no room to love them, and that what they needed for me most of all was my loving acceptance and the space to, and the space for them to grow.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety podcast, where uh, through the sharing of stories and ideas, um, we feel less alone and undo some of that undue anxiety that we all tend to suffer, at least sometimes, wholly unnecessarily. So that's the, that's the point of this thing. Um, you know how uh, every once in a while you come across a person, um, and you might know them well, they might be somebody you just come across once in a while, and they just seem to emit a sense of calm and peace and joy, and you kind of walk away even from a moment with this person. You think, I'll have what she's having, but I'm not sure I know what she's having. (laughs) Well, um, to answer some of those questions, I have sitting across with me um, the lovely Charlene. Char, thanks for being here.
0: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: So, yeah, you know, we'll get to that. But, you know, tell me a little bit about your story. You um you, you kind of have a fascinating career and a fascinating family life. Tell me about your origin story. How did the, how did it all start for you?
0: Well, I was born a not so poor Greek child. <laughs> Actually, I was born into a very loud and rambunctious uh, Greek-American family. Yeah, um, My father's actually Armenian. I'm actually more Armenian than I am Greek, but when you have one drop of Greek blood, the Greek takes over.
1: Boy, I would. it does, doesn't it? Yes. I would have guessed
0: 100%. Yes. So um, my family of origin was very... Um, there was a lot going on when I was first born. My grandfather had had died a few months before I was born, so it threw the family into chaos. And there were uh, a no, lot no, of... No
1: small thing, right? Then In, 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 in no. um, Greek families, I know that that's... Uh, I work with a Greek family now, and boy, if a, if a grandparent dies, that's that's massive mourning. Exactly. And yeah. I was
0: named after him, so not so much... You A know, little pressure on my shoulders. Charles? He, yes. Wow. That's correct. So... That's that's um, and then my mother um, got pregnant with my sister about four months after I was born. So it was a lot. There was a lot going on. Chaos, and huh? and then my brother came a few years after that. So my mother was about 21 years old, and I can't even imagine. I have a 21 year old daughter right now. I can't imagine <laughs> what that would be like for her right now to be trying to raise a, a small fam- a family of small children. So there was a lot happening. She was also the the go to person in her family. So in addition to raising us, she was also taking care of. Her uh, brother, who was only five years old when her when his father died, so wow. there was just a lot happening in the, in the family when I when I uh, when I came into the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's interesting you point out that you know I think we both have twenty one year olds, and to think like. Oh wow! Imagine raising a family, our, our kids raising a family at that age. I mean, it just seems crazy, and yet our parents did. That's this. correct. Yeah, yeah, my
0: daughters who can't even make a dentist appointment. <laughs> 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 so, um, so the the most prevailing. Uh, sound I heard as a child was uh, was co- was a constant cautiousness and, and 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 someone always hovering around you and so it was you know a, all the time there was death around any corner you know the, a staircase could mean death a rounded corner of a, ch- of a of a table could mean death and there was this constant sense of anxiety that at any moment something really really horrible was going to happen.
1: A minute a minute ago you said t- you made a noise <laughs> that kind of depicted <laughs> the the flavor of your childhood. Do you yes. mind?
0: I said the sound of my childhood I can be summed up in this noise
1: (gasps) (laughs) so it was fear it was kind of a fear constant fear yeah
0: so just that fight or flight now I know that that's what it was but just imagine adrenaline constantly being pumped through your veins so that's that's what it was like at at any moment
1: so if I were interviewing you know like a seventh grade char what, what what is she like
0: seventh grade char was probably a very there was a lot of fear back then. A lot of caring what my friends thought. A lot of uh, trying to keep up, making sure I didn't stand out too much. Uh, a lot of uh, recriminations for myself and how I looked. And you know, there was a, a lot of um, outward looking at myself. Got it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so image stuff. Um, exactly. Yeah.
0: And never really being able to to be myself. Like like always watching myself being myself. So I'm I'm really aware of that now.
1: Was that family imposed? Like my family of origin was kind of like we had this image that you know my parents were kind of married to. Yes. Um, yeah. So looking did, looking
0: yeah. good. Was like the 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 order of the day, and and you know my my people are not real shallow. It's just this was ingrained in the culture in the Greek Orthodox Church. It's very you know when you go to church, it's how you're dressed and how you look. Right. Um, my mother actually walked away from the Greek Orthodox Church as a young woman when we were very young because she was sitting um, waiting to for, to bring us up for communion, and one of the Greek priests stopped the sermon so that he could chastise a very overweight woman who had the audacity of walking into church in a pantsuit. This was in the early 70s. And in that moment, my mother felt all of her humiliation and decided that she just made a complete break with her church. And so from then on, we went to church and it was really important that we look good for church and Mm -hmm. that we behave well, but she never took communion again. No and kidding. it became a very, just something we did on holidays. So that was a, it was a very marked time. And I remember her uh, very much being very vocal about it. I think, you know, from her standpoint in this early 70s, when there were, you know, most of her friends or people that she knew had been maybe going off to war or protesting the right. Vietnam War, this was her, like, silent act of protest, you know, <laughs> against the patriarchy. And and, and,
1: um, and f- as, as her daughter, was this a good thing for you to witness? Was it mortifying? Was it like, go mom?
0: I, I don't think we really understood. Yeah. But there was just always that sense of um, mom making us do one thing, but she was doing something very different. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right. there was there was uh, there was just that confusion about you know the most important thing was that we that we look good. I don't think I really understood till much much later why that was so important. Like she was going to show them, you know how, how how people are supposed to behave. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. And do you think that was a product? Of her upbringing as yes. well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It's interesting how that stuff trickles down. Exactly. Yeah. So, as as life progresses for you, um, does that self consciousness carry that that anxiety about you know how I look and the image I put forth, or is there a way to break from that?
0: Yeah, th- it was. It was. It stayed with me for a really long time. I studied, you know, f- philosophy and college. I think I've always been trying to get at this. Yes. I think part of that um, that that image thing was because from a very young age, I had, I had a very strange understanding of myself. Like I would, I would look at myself for hours as a child. My mother actually thought I was possessed because <laughs> I was two, three years old sitting in front of a mirror, picking at my face. And my mother would ask me like, what are you doing? What, like, what, like trying to get me away, distracting the the young child from doing wow. this obsessive behavior. Yeah. And I would say to her, this isn't what I look like. I was constantly trying to get to the me underneath me so there is this uh, kind of a prevalent theme and' that's carried through my life and and uh, something that I've definitely been been uh, been working on and I like, you know overcome and I think you go through that in stages and right. yeah you know.
1: it's, it's amazing that at such a young age mm-hmm. you were kind of aware of yes. something some uh, some dissonance right with the way you looked and you know the way you felt maybe something like that yes huh? yes Wow that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, um, are you a you know um, a teenager that looks in the mirror and you know um, kind of like in, in like kids do in the Instagram age now? Um, you know, were you most kids are, but were you um, kind of hypersensitive to you know the physical?
0: I, I'm not quite sure if I was. I, th- I mean, I think we are all kind of that way as, yeah. as teenagers. So I don't know that I was any more than any other any other person my age. But I I think. F- For me, I had a car accident when I was in my early 20s. And I don't maybe think I realized how vain I was until I had this car accident and I lost a portion of my eyelid and went through the window and and you know all of a sudden the face that I saw in the mirror was not was certainly not the face that I was used to seeing. I, wow. w- I had significant um, damage and had to have a lot of uh, of uh, reconstructive surgery. And at that time something did shift in me. I mean I actually look at that moment now as it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it did shift my focus from out looking outside to looking inside. And I began to, I began this kind of this journey back in, inside, and, and and not so much con- concerned about what was happening on the external, as more on the internal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so and so, you really look at that as something that was not altogether negative for you, even <laughs> though it was a.
0: Absolutely no, it was probably it was honestly. I look at it as one of the best things that ever happened to me because I became a much more serious student. You know, everything changed in that in that moment for and and really. I mean, I had a, a couple of years of it being, of be, being difficult mm-hmm. and I could not understand for the life of me that if they could make Michael Jackson look the way that they looked, what he looked, why couldn't they put my face back together? I like really, really couldn't was that understand. Really? <laughs> like, like, I don't understand why, you know, why isn't, why isn't, why can't I have eyelashes again? You know, why, why, why is this going to be so difficult? So there was a sense of having to come to terms with it. But once you kind of know this is the way that it's going to be, you just live with it. And then I think I just determined that at that moment it was like, all right, well, I have a lot of, of other skills and so I just kind of shifted in, in that direction
1: and so uh, and where did you shift to so if you're able to kind of like um uh, put together the physical and the emotional in that way you know where, what direction do you go in like you know are you do you become a student of philosophy do you become a a student of almost zen-like thinking
0: Y- yes, well, uh, it, I became a lot more meditative. I had m- yeah. much more time to to meditate. I remember I would just say over and over again, I am a calm and peaceful being. I must have said it I, I don't know a, a million times. you know, every time because I, I was someone that was prone to having uh, panic attacks and hyperventilating. you know, th- th- I had a lot of issues like that when I was a child. And so as I as I after ha- I had the the accident, and uh, kind of came through that trauma, I really went inward and um, focused a lot more on um, on what was happening inside.
1: As a therapist, I will say there's something kind of like um, brilliantly counterintuitive about that, mm-hmm. right? Because one would think that, you know, like um, pre-accident, you know, you might have less anxiety. An accident would create something phobic or, you know, some of those panic attacks and things. You're saying, well, actually, that was kind of a healing. I had to surrender.
0: Healing. I had to completely surrender. There yeah. was no, there was nothing I could do but to let go. Yeah, and so I had to completely let go of how I looked, which is, a, you know, for someone who, who grew up the way that I grew up, that was like the most challenging thing to 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 let go of. And, um, you know, for people who know me, and as I, I think for myself, the biggest thing that I took out of it is, that, uh, is how I wanted to raise my children you know, for me, the most important thing was, you know, what was I going, what was the legacy I was going to leave for them?
1: So talk to me about that, right? So I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about this idea. I'm a calm and peaceful person Mm -hmm. coming from a very anxious upbringing. Um, How do you determine your parental philosophy?
0: Well, initially, it was just not my parents, you know, I'm going to do it (laughs) just not the way that they did it. So I would have my yaya calling me up to say, you know, milk is cancerous. And Keep the, keep the (laughs) hairdryer away from your children. Like every day there was some other piece of news and she would want to call me and let me know. And I, I had a way of disconnecting from it in a loving way and, you know, to say yes, yes, yes. And and then I would get off the phone and do what I wanted to do. Um, but with my children, I really, um, focused on giving them a lot of space, um, to make mistakes. It, It was very hard to step back and let them have their own experience and, um, but it's 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 probably been for me you know that's been the work of my life. I have I do a lot of other things, but raising my raising my girls and being a parent to them has probably been like most people go to grad school. That's what I was doing. I was I was reading books on how to be how you know how to be a great parent. I wish we would have had your book. <laughs> I'm sure I would have devoured it. But for me, it was um, a, about being um, the kind of parent that was more of a coach, coach based parenting.
1: Right, right.
0: And it was very much at odds with what was kind of happening around me, even in my friend group. Oh yeah. And very very, very much at odds with what was happening from the way that I was brought up.
1: Yeah, our generation is so hands-on, right? We're talking about helicopter parenting. Parenting is a verb, and you decide, okay, well, I, I remember how I was parented, I'm going to step back from yes. that.
0: Yeah, so my most prevailing um, way of parenting was, was, I had this idea, and I can't remember where I read it. I know I read it someplace, I can't take credit for it, but it was, love them and leave them alone. Like, that was my, that was, that was my mantra, love them and leave them alone. Like this understanding that, that, um, that the children come through you, that, that they're not extensions of you. If my child did something wrong, I remember initially, especially I probably made much more mistakes with Madison because she's the oldest, um, just in terms of being probably a little bit more hands-on. Right. Um, but, but this idea that, I, that if, if I'm judging them, there's no room to love them. And that what they needed from me most of all was my loving acceptance and the space to, and the space for them to grow.
1: I love that so much that I want people to pause on that for a second and pause on that idea of love them and leave them alone. And that's the most loving, compassionate, empowering thing you can do. I mm-hmm. mean, one thing before we sat down, um, I, I thought about you know what I know of your story, and um, you know I'm familiar in kind of a tertiary way with your with your three. Daughters who are um, striking—they're all beautiful, but they're all super empowered and in different ways. Um, do you, is that um, is that a direct result of you know you and your husband making that choice?
0: I, I think so, and I think it's because from the very beginning, I really recognized that they they had their own um, purpose, like their own dharma, their thing that they're supposed to come into the world to do, and. I kind of saw my job as helping them figure out what that was you know so one week it might be swimming and swimming was really important for a very long time but then there came a point where that was no longer the truth for Madison even though she was a phenomenal swimmer and she had you know coaches saying oh we need to get her in junior olympics and of course as a parent you know nothing makes you more excited to think that your child could be doing something really you know important right and she looked at me she was you know all of like 10 years old and she looked at me and she said don't even think about it <laughs> and she saw the wheels turning in my head it, it wasn't her passion any longer. She liked to swim. She liked what it did for her physically, but she wasn't interested in that com- that competition that 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 she didn't have that drive. Right. I have that drive., yeah, she yeah. didn't have that drive. So I, I, I it was a it was a teachable moment for me. Like I really see that from my kids that they've taught me so much more than I've taught them. You know, sometimes not in the best ways. You know, and what, do you, what do you mean? Well, when when you're resisting something that's going on, you know, it's it can cause a lot of suffering, right. it's, you know, it causes a lot of and, and you know, you want them to do it in a certain way. But to take that moment and pause and say, well, why not do it their way? Like, wh- why? Why am, am I so sure that my way of doing it is the best way to take that moment and take a deep breath and consider that they have a wisdom that that might that that belies their years. That you know, if you really consider that they're magical, that they are, that that they have a truth within them. That if you help them to have a better sense of a compass for it, you know, to listen to what the truth is within themselves, right. that they'll they can mine it more, you know, more easily. So.
1: And and so honoring their wisdom, their path, their truth. Um, it was your way to parent. I've gotta think that there was pushback somewhere along the line from family, friends, neighbors. Did anyone ever say, you know, Char, you know, she's um, she's doing this or push her a little harder or this seems like a bad direction you know um they need a little more hands on parenting did you ever get judged you know
0: for the most part they they really are remarkable girls and that they they kind of you know do what's expected i mean we were raised in, in a really great community and there is a sense of the community is raising all the children here right. but oh yeah i remember madison was f- in fourth grade and Mor- morgan was in must have been in second and i had you know we live in this town where you can walk everywhere and right. and they were testing out their independence so after school morgan had a dance class here at the corner at uh, by the tracks about 3 blocks away from the house but on a busy street and i i had empowered my daughter madison the 4th grader to walk her sister to her dance class and then walk and then walk home this is like at 3:30 in the afternoons in the middle of the day got it yep i had no fewer than 3 phone calls about Madison Vickery walking alone on Lagrange Road and I mean mind you I'm at my house you know I'm not off eating bonbons right. doing nothing like I'm I'm on pins and needles waiting for her to get home I know exactly how long it takes for her to get from that studio back to the house and right. you know but it was important for her to be able to to do this for herself and yeah. and you know I was raised in a time when we couldn't maybe walk around a little bit more. I mean, I think, I actually think if I did that now, I'd get a lot more pushback than I did, you know, however many years ago that was, you know, 10 years ago or more.
1: I think you're right about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's really not done now. Um, but, you know, my kids take the train into the city. They have since they were, you know, since they were younger, to meet my sister who lives in the city. She'd pick them up from the from the station. You know, they. My, my daughter has traveled all throughout Europe on her own. Um, my sixteen year old is now living in France. Um, with another family doing a, an exchange program, I mean, I really raised my children to be citizens of the world. That was because that was important to me. Now that might not be for everybody, but right. that was a value for me. Yeah. And I wanted,, um, you know, they they certainly know that there are risks out there. and and um, I think the worst part for me was when Madison started dating and some boy wanted to take her out and was going to pick her up in the car. And I remember trying to explain to her, like, I trusted her. This had nothing to do with me not trusting her right. to go on a date. Right. But I asked her, asked her this question. I said, let me ask you this question. If I had my purse filled with, let's just say, $1,000, would I take this purse and just give it to somebody I don't know and let them drive around in the car with it? And, you know, hope it's going to come back. And she would say, well, no, that would be dumb if you did that. I said, well, do you think you're worth more to me than my purse full of (laughs) $1,000? I said, I'm going to let you do this, but I need you to understand how challenging it is for me. And so it was kind of like we did this together. Like I'm, I'm, uh, it's hard for me to let you go. And yet I need to let you go. But if you understand what's going through my mind and how difficult it is when I ask you to check in, will you check in? And so we never had that issue because we had there was compassion going both ways.
1: I love that meta level of communication where you talk about how you're talking about things, right? And you talk about your own feelings here, right? Yes. You know, you know like, no, this is hard for me. I'm with you. I'm going to let you do this. But you know, like, that's that's kind of brilliant, right? And I would imagine. That she checked in.
0: She did. Yeah. Yeah. And and believe me when I tell you, anyone who knows my kids, they're not perfect. They do a lot of silly things. They've, you know, they've each had their had their moments. But they are they're not people pleasers, which was super important to me. Right. They are. Uh, they they take risks for their truth. They uh-huh. are both doing completely different things. Uh, the two that I've already kind of halfway launched. Um, and they, they're respectful. They, they are really interested in other people. So, yeah, I have had I I have been judged. I know that I have sure. have been, and I'm sure that I've you know I've judged people on the other side when I see the the hoveringness. Right. You know, I have my own judgments so on too much on that. Yeah, and um and you know that's not that's not helpful either way. People, I think, are really working within the the realms of what they're what they're capable of of working
1: with. Right, right. So you so you're not that quick to judge people. Right. How do you silence? The anxious mind you grew up with, enough to be that hands-off a parent, that trusting a parent to love them and leave them alone, which is a parenting philosophy I completely endorse and I love and I can see in your daughters that it works um, beautifully and you'll have this like probably excellent relationship with them for a lifetime. But the anxiety of parenting and having grown up in an anxious house, is it is it a voice that knocks on the door fairly frequently or... Have you pretty much Not so
0: much anymore, uh-huh. um, but when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. Um, you know, I um, I really found that talking to that voice has been very helpful. Like, I it has a name, and it has a personality, and. I we laugh together. I, I you know I do some teaching on this now in the work that I do, but it's it's really when you're talking about this the, the ego mind or that 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 voice that wants to be talking. It's usually you know it comes in the, the loudest, and I also find that you know as I stepped into a deeper faith, and without getting too spiritual and religious. Um, I had a huge moment, something that happened to me at the the Y. I was doing a lot of classes at the Y, and I'd go into that space. And, you know, if people remember this old Y, it was a big old dilapidated building. But I loved it. Every single friend that I have are people that I met, you know, teaching how to swim or taking classes there. And they had these four-foot letters up on the wall that said, God loves us. And Um, When my kids were little, I was still very much suffering from got, got to be perfect, got to do it right, you know, constantly overdoing everything. And I'd go into the Y and I'd see that God loves us sign, and I'd say, "Oh yeah, oh God loves me today." I was horrible. I yelled at the kids. I was mean to Randy. I was, you know, I would I would have this running argument with this with this sign on the wall, <laughs> and I was aggravated. Like, why do we have? To, I want to just come and work out. Why do we have to like be swimming under four foot letters of God? Like, it's just it just seemed like ridiculous to me. Right. And I constantly had this little argument going on. And one day I was in there doing laps and. Um, I was having this argument about, oh yeah, God loves me. Oh, today was a doozy. I was really, I was horrible today, and I was beating at the water. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, uh, "Who are you talking to?" Like really, like loud uh-huh. in my head. And being the logic person and the philosopher that I am, I got back swimming, and I'm like, "Yeah, who am I talking to? What's going on? What am I talking to right now?" And I had this huge, like, like, uh, like, epiphany of this sense of no matter what I did, there was this creative force in the universe that was never going to not love me, that I was actually okay the way that I was with every issue that I had, that there was actually no proof anywhere in the universe that I was not exactly how I was supposed to be. And so it was this overwhelming feeling of, Yes, God, like those words literally came into my DNA and into my cell. And it's not so much ab- about God. I know some people see it that way, but for right. me, it's about this, cr- like this, is about the universe and this, this, this overwhelming, you know, um, un- unified feel, this presence. And I was never the same after that. And once that faith came into me, once I actually could feel what that felt like yeah. to be completely supported, it's. It really, it's it's like you cannot lose it. You can't lose it. And so from then on, every time something that would, would come up that would be of a nature that would kind of make me lose my peace, I would... I would just kind of surrender it. I would just, uh, any, t- any chance I had, if it was something was too big, I would continue to surrender it. Like, okay, that's too big for me, so I'm just going to let you handle that one. And so it did become a little bit of a relationship, yeah. you know, where yeah. I guess, you know, someone might say, oh, Charlene is schizophrenic. <laughs> um, but it's it, it became more of a, like, uh, so when that voice starts to happen, getting back to your question, when that voice starts to happen... I I've made friends with it. It's it's become I understand it now as a as like a toddler you know and the best way to deal with a toddler is not to yell at it is right. not to punish it right. but to invite it and to um, get curious with it or to distract it you know you you distract it you get curious with it you you know you find a way to make it giggle you know and so right. that's right. what i do with myself so sometimes i'm off to the races and then i'll be like oh wow that didn't take very long like i'll then i'll laugh at myself like boy <laughs> you were 0 to 60 on that one right. and i've i've actually i've found that I can enjoy it. You know, it's yeah. not something that I act- I want to get rid of. It's part of who I am. It's it it's a, like a, a quirk of my personality, and people who are probably closest to me get to see it more often than than the people that are you know out out and around me. But um, but it's just kind of part of who I am now.
1: I love the vibe of kind of like embracing it almost as a separate entity, but a part of you instead of kind of this um what I think is maybe a cultural press to fight it. Right, you know, which is yeah. what we do most of our lives, and we end up kind of sick. I mm-hmm. think in some way or another, yeah, because we do that. Your what you do vocationally now, I don't. We don't have time to get deep into that, but in a way, you kind of teach that, don't you? I mean, how do you teach somebody, you know, without the four foot letters, yeah. <laughs> without that cue? How do you teach somebody well, to feel that way? You
0: actually, you cannot teach somebody to have an experience because it right. is it's an experience. You can. Um, I, f- I find that sometimes the words I use can help. But really, it's a, what, what I do p- primarily is reconnect people to that sense of source. I help induce a meditative state mm-hmm. through some of the work that I do, whether it's meditation or cranial sacral or even through, mis- through the massage therapy. And once people find that state, once they find and experience that feeling of deep peace, they, you, you, it's like leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. You find your way back. It's easier. It's easy to find your way back. Once you've been there once, you can get back there again. And then the more you do it, the quicker you can get back there. So that's what I would say. It's really, I'm, I really am just a facilitator. What what I'm doing is really just helping. I often refer to myself as jumper cables. I just kind of get in and (laughs) give a little bit of a charge and people are able to find themselves, you know, because everything that we're looking for is not, nothing is outside. It's all inside. And, Uh, We have a world that's programmed us to look out, look on, look, look everywhere except for inside.
1: Something material, something, some promotion. Exactly. uh, Person. Exactly. Or
0: escape. Watch the television. Watch the sports. Watch this. Like everything is is outside of ourselves to the point where silence becomes kind of a scary thing you know they get silent just long enough to hear the dang that the kind of craziness the cacophony of, of stuff happening in their in their head and they think oh I can't do this I can't meditate it's not for me because that's what's going on there but once you start to get once you start to spend more time there it begins it's like emptying out it just begins to empty out yes initially it is very loud and then it begins to empty out and um and that's, for me, where, where, the real, um, where the real magic is.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, and a place so many of us kind of um, almost have an instinct to resist, and yet that's where the peace is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I think our world is, uh, programs us to think that there's something wrong with us. You right. know? Here, get this new toothpaste. Get this new shampoo. It's like uh, th- something's going to make it better than, than, it, than it is. And, you know, I, I often ask people, like, what would it be like if there was nothing wrong with you? Like, yeah. could you e- actually even consider just for a moment what that would feel like to so just feel like there's nothing that needs to be fixed? Your weight, not your weight, not your relationships, that everything is exactly how it's supposed to be.
1: And for um, the, the two, three-year-old girl that we met today, for the girl in her 20s who, um, you know, had, had the accident for the mom and, and the wife that we're talking to now, um, have you achieved that? Do you feel like you're there?
0: I, I feel like I'm always it's like a a layer of an onion that you're constantly peeling back. You know, yeah. just when you think you're there, all of a sudden, you know, you're, something new will kind of will will come up. So yeah. I don't think I mean I think that. That you're that we're always kind of evolving, so it's not about getting better. It really is a, for me, it's about um it, it's about coming into higher states of consciousness where you do, where you can feel that oneness where where peace is not just some abstract idea. it literally is something that you can experience and and hold yeah. you know because I think we all have moments of peace, but actually being able to hold peace for long periods of time is is a challenge. it's you know you, it's you, it's just a challenge.
1: It's what I probably want listeners of this podcast to be able to achieve more than anything else. If you had 90 seconds and a TED Talk, you know, <laughs> uh, what, what would be your message to somebody who feels a, a great deal of unrest and undue anxiety?
0: You to give me a second on that, Sure. Um, the, you know, the thing that I would say is just to take a deep breath that most of us go an entire day without really inflating our lungs with you know without understanding that that this body this experiencing this experience that we're having right here and right now is the most important important experience that we're having to take a deep breath and just feel this moment because actually right in this moment no matter what's happening whether you have a parent that's sick or a child that's not doing well when you take that deep breath right in that moment your lungs are working, your body is physically doing what it's supposed to be doing. And right in that moment, nothing is actually wrong. And so if you can feel it for that moment, pretty soon, maybe you can string together a couple of moments. And then maybe you can string together, you know, 10 minutes. And, yeah. and then before long, it, it, it becomes it becomes like, a, like addictive, like you want to get back there, you, you want to try and figure out how to get back there.
1: And I will admit to you that as you were speaking, and maybe I'm maybe I'm not alone, and people listening to us will feel the same way. I did exactly as you said yeah. while you were saying it, mm-hmm. and I feel more present in this moment mm-hmm. with you right now and peaceful. So, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> will, you, will you come back and talk to us again? I would love
0: to. Yeah.
1: The awesome Charlene, thank you so much. You're very welcome. You can find this podcast online at iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher liveleadplay.com, which is affiliated with IPEC Coaching School and WGN Plus. On my website, there's a free parenting program, uh, drjohnduffy.com. If you are a parent, I strongly encourage you to check that out. Uh, Some really good ideas there. Um, If you have thoughts or ideas uh, for this podcast, or if you are someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh, please email me John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the Undo Anxiety Podcast.